going to read the whole passage that we're preaching from this morning because that would take up most of my sermon time. Uh, but I just want to read a few passages from 2 Kings chapter 18 uh, this morning and in chapter 19 as well. If you'll stand with me as we read the word of the Lord to us this morning. We'll start in verse 19 of Second uh, Kings chapter 18. Then Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What is this confidence that you have? You say, but they are only empty words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? Now behold, you rely on the staff of the crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if a man leans it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who rely on him. But if you say to me, We trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away? And has said to Judah and Jerusalem, You shall worship before the altar in Jerusalem? Now therefore come, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you two thousand horses, if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse one official of the least of my master's servants and rely on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord's approval against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna, and Joah said to Rebshakeh, Speak now to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. And do not speak with, with us in Judean for the, in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But Rebshakeh said to them, has my master sent me only to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall doomed to eat their own dung and drink their own urine with you? Then Rebshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not deliver, be able to deliver you from my hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me, and come out to me, and eat of his vine, and each of his fig tree, and drink each of the water of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, and a land of bread and vineyards a land of olive trees and honey that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Harmoth and Arpad? Where are the gods of Saravamon, Hana and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their land from my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But the people were silent and answered not a word to the king's commandment, was do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shibna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rabshakeh. And when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and, and entered the house of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, make us people of your word. 
Cause our delight and trust in you and your word to guide our steps, to guide our response to the attacks of our enemy, the devil. Lord, may we learn from this story, this story that you have placed in the history of time so that we could hear and learn to trust you no matter what situation we encounter. Father, I pray that our hearts would hear your voice this morning, that you would give me clarity and wisdom, that your words would come forth. Just pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Today's message is entitled, Propaganda or Truth? Propaganda or Truth? This passage made me think about World War II. World War II was the first time that propaganda was highly used in war. It reached a new high, literally. And you say, well, what does that mean? Literally because they started dropping propaganda leaflets out of airplanes at the end of World War I, but in World War II it became so common that in the year 1944-1945, the Germans produced 116 different leaflets to try to convince soldiers based on whatever situation they were in to surrender, to stop fighting, to give up. And throughout history, leaders have realized that the military that doesn't believe that what they are fighting for is worth the battle, or that it's hopeless, that's how you win, right? If, if you can get into people's heads, I mean, how many of you all have watched a basketball game and they're taunting one another? They're trying to get into one another's head. Oh, you can't shoot a free throw, or uh, you see what I just did? I blocked you. Come into my house again, if you don't watch basketball, you don't know what that means, but it's essentially this idea that uh, if you come into my space, I'm going to block every shot you put up, and you're not going to score on me. And if you win that battle, that person, you won't have to block any shots, because they won't take a shot, because they're too afraid. So, propaganda is used positively and negatively. It always contains some truth, right? It's got to be somewhat truthful or people won't believe it. I took a, a list of some of these um, leaflets that were dropped in 1944 in different places by the Germans. These were all for uh, soldiers. Now, in London and in England, there were leaflets dropped to the the people who weren't fighting, who were just living in London, who were under the torture of bombing and all that. But these were actually to soldiers, men on the front lines. And these, these are some of them, and um, I hope that they help us get a picture. And the front of this first one said, For them the war is over. And then below it said, Dead men tell no tales, but PWs do. Pretty... Uh, Pretty striking. And on the back side of it, it had photographs of German soldiers serving soup to allied POWs. Oh, just, just warms your heart, right? This was during the Battle of the Ardennes. They were trying to get them to give up. 
next one it said, Hope, sweet hope on the front. And then in small letters, Waiting is easy when one can hope. And it shows a mother and her child waiting for her husband to return since he is a prisoner of war. And the Germans are treating him well. On the backside, a newspaper article, and it says, Nazis found fair to wank Yankee uh, wounded. I found that all the quotes that the Germans used were from the Boston Globe. Uh, I don't know if that's, I don't know anything about the Boston Globe, but... The next one said, when are you coming home? Big, bold letters on the front. And it had a photograph of a little girl with her dog and a letter written to her father. And on the back, a photograph of a soldier, Merritt T. Jordan, who is now a prisoner of war and will be able to return. You see what the enemy is trying to do? Hey, just give up. We'll, we'll make it easy on you and then, and then you can go home. And the last one, it said across the front in bold letters, safety first. And then on the back it says, this is the way the future is made. And it has a photograph of a pretty girl smiling. Invites soldiers to become prisoners of war since an American soldier dies at the average age of 23. So what are these all doing? They're, they're trying to get these men who are fighting for a cause they believe in to give up because it's too hard or the price is too heavy. And that's really what this story is about. The devil knows what God is about to do. He's going to deliver the people of Israel, or of Judah. But if he can convince the king and the people to give up before God brings the victory, then he has won. Just like these Germans. This is 1944. Most of these Leaflets were dropped in the last few months of 1944 and early 1945. Many at the Battle of the Bulge, which was really the breaking point of the German army. So background to this story. Hezekiah, leading up to this, has reformed Israel. He is tearing down all the idols. He's cleaning out the garbage that the last kings have left. And his reform is so intense that it pleases the Lord. It says in 2 Chronicles 31, 20-22, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judea. And he did what was good, right, and true before the Lord his God. Every work which he began in the service of the house of God in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. This is what's going on right now. And suddenly, it says in Second Chronicles 32, verse 1, so the following verse, the following chapter, it says, After these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and besieged the fortified cities and thought, to break into them for himself. Isn't that interesting? Right after Hezekiah and them clean the house, essentially, clean up the whole kingdom, suddenly the enemy comes in. 
Have we ever experienced that? God is doing a reviving work in your life, and then suddenly you have attacks from every side? I have. The devil doesn't want us to live in victory. He wants to put us back down where we came from. He wants to put us back under his dominion. So, what does the king do? He tries to uh, pay him off. Right? He, says, he tries to appease him like the European powers did in Germany, did with Hitler in Germany. So he gives them lots of gold, whatever you, whatever you want. And we see that in 2 Kings chapter 18, 13 through 16. He even takes gold off the doors of the temple. But when he sees the king of Syria trying to come back again, he actually fortifies and prepares the city for war. He stops up the water around the city. He builds a, another wall around the city. And that's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 2 through 5. But then he did this. In 2 Chronicles 32, verse 6 and 7, he spoke words of encouragement. It says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the horde that is with him. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord, our God, to help us and to fight our battles. And how did the people respond? It says, And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. They believed him. So it's no wonder when we get to the passage in verse 17 that the king of Assyria wants to dissuade the people from believing Hezekiah. So Sennacherib, if he had had airplanes, he probably would have started dropping leaflets over Jerusalem. But he didn't have those. So instead he sends a man with a very loud voice, Rabshakeh, and his buddies. And he uses propaganda to try to convince Jerusalem and the king to turn aside. And starting in verse 19, he begins to speak to the king, but he's doing it so loud purposely so that the people of the city can hear. And in his speech to the king, he has two main points. He's going to question their confidence where it's coming from, and he's going to offer them a bargain. Because you could always bargain with the enemy. So in verse 19 through 22, he begins to puff himself up. Right? It says, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria. Oh, he's the great one. So you should listen. And then he says, well, where's your confidence coming from? Is it Egypt? Verse 21 and 22. Or 
you know what Egypt does. He's just going to stab you in the back. Or what about the Lord? Is the Lord your, your, your hope? Verse 22. But, but didn't... And this is very interesting the way he talks about this. I think he's really addressing the people of Jerusalem, not the king, because he says, well, didn't you destroy all the high places and idols? Maybe that's the reason why I've come, because you have attacked the God of your people. And you, now you make them all worship at the one place here in Jerusalem. So he's trying to attack where their confidence lies. And he thinks it's Egypt. And he knows that it's the Lord. And of course... We read that section, verse 26 through 27, where the men sent out by Hezekiah are trying to convince them not to speak so loudly. Why don't you speak in Aramaic? That would be a lot better. And what does Reb Shekai says? He says, Has my master sent me only to your master and to you to speak these words? And not to the men who sit on the wall, doomed to eat their own dung and drink their own urine with you? Man, that would be make a great leaflet. Not, you should go out and make leaflets. But if you were trying to do propaganda, that would be a very uh, telling and nasty way to get people to think, well, maybe that it would be better to, to surrender. But it's obvious this whole time Sennacherib is trying to get into the heads of the people of Israel and convince them that what they have heard is not true. To shake their confidence and the source of their confidence. And so when he begins the second half of this argument before the people, he begins to speak to the people directly. And I, I said he starts speaking in leaflets to the people. He's just giving it all out now. He's d- directly addressing the people. And we see that in verse 28. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Again, he's building himself up. Oh, look at this great king. You should believe him. Look at all the people he's destroyed. And how does he seek to bring the people to his side? First, he builds himself up. And then he tears down Hezekiah, right? He says in verse 28 and 29, Hezekiah can't deliver you. He will not be able to deliver you from my hand. It's a pretty pretty strong statement. And then in verse 30, he says, Don't let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord. Don't trust what the Lord has to say. You can't trust him. Because if he convinces you to trust in him, you will be led astray. And again, he offers another bargain. I know we didn't talk about the one with the king because it was more of a, a joke, right? He says, 
with the king, he offers a, a bargain. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can put men on them. Just don't trust in Egypt. And don't you realize the Lord told us to go down against the land and destroy it? So that's, a, that's the bargain he offered to the king. But the bargain that he offers to the people is very similar to the offer that you see the Germans offering to POWs. So what do you say here? If you look with me at verse 31. He says, Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria. Make your peace with me. Come out to me. Yeah. And each, each of his vine and each of his fig tree and drink each of the waters of his own cistern. Oh, yummy. Food and drink just free-flowing. What a great, great offer. Are you all ready to get in the boat and go with him? And then he says, until I come and take you away. And you're like, oh, time out. I was liking this bargain until this moment. Then he, he tries to soften it. He says, to a land like your own land, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. Oh, that sounds like a decent, a decent offer. Maybe we should all jump in. Let's go. Let's leave Hezekiah to eat his own dung and all that. Can you trust the bargain of the enemy? It's kind of like going to some of these car salesmen, used car salesmen in Louisville. There's one, Tony something. You've probably heard a commercial for him. He calls himself a dealer for the people. Somehow I feel like he's a dealer for his own pocketbook. He's always offering, you know, no, no credit check, no, you know, no money down. That's always going to end well. Probably 50% interest and who knows what you end up paying for a vehicle that's worth a couple grand. But isn't this how the devil often works? He makes himself out to be some great, undefeatable force. And then he offers you a bargain out so that, you know, I'm going to beat these guys, but if you want out, you, there's a back door right here. Just come over here. Just come on. Come over here and, and get out of this situation. And finally... In this second section, he, in speaking to the people, he, he finally says in verse 33 through 35, Hezekiah and the word of the Lord is not to be trusted. And, and why would that be? Well, he says, let's, let's say that he's in a courtroom, he's making a case, and he says, here's exhibit A. He says, where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Saravam and Hena and Iva? Well, what about the gods of Samaria? 
Weren't the Israelites a part of your people? I mean, none of those worked. Why can you trust the Lord? Right in verse 35 says, Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their land from my hand? I've done it. That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. Who? I mean, how is your God any better than all these other ones that we've destroyed and their people? So did the people listen to the king? Did they say, oh, mass exodus, hey, Hezekiah, open the front gate, we're, we're out. No. It says that the people were silent and entered him not a word. And this is a very interesting response. Because by all it, imagination and, and all that they could see, the circumstances were not good. Assyria was a mighty nation. They were destroying everyone that was in their path. And in all honesty, their propaganda was speaking mostly truth. The problem is they had not encountered the God of Judah and the God of Hezekiah and the God of the people of Jerusalem. That was the only issue. But what if the people of Jerusalem said, you know what, the king had a great speech, but I'm looking around the city and there's ants. It's like ants out there. There's so many people surrounding us. There's no hope. It made me think of John 10, 27. And Jesus is, in that section, He's talking about the shepherd and Him being the true shepherd. And He says in that section, He says, The sheep hear My voice and follow Me. Not someone else. Me. These people chose to believe Hezekiah and His Word over the Word and the circumstances that were around them. It was chaos. They didn't know what to do. They, they, they couldn't have defeated these people, even if they had tried to in their own strength. But they listened to Hezekiah and did not speak a word. So how do the leaders respond to this? Well, we see here that Elikim and Shebna and Joah... They came and brought the words to Hezekiah with their t- clothes torn. They're just torn up, literally, on the outside. But what does Hezekiah do in verse 1 of chapter 19? And when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of the Lord. He didn't sit in an ash heap like Job. But he tore his clothes. He showed his emotional and mental state outwardly. He was not afraid to let people know, this is how I feel, but... Where did he go? Did he go to his house? No. He went to the house of the Lord. Why? 
Because he believed him. He believed his word. That's why. He went to the house of the Lord because that was the only place that he knew he would find the answer. Because he delighted in God. We've been doing this series in Psalm 119. And this message is kind of a continuation of that that sermon series as well as last week when we saw what Saul did when he was confronted with sin. Hezekiah ran to the Lord. He didn't run to his own home or to a witch or whatever source. He didn't run to the bank. Hey, can you... uh, which would have been Egypt, right? <laughs> hey, can you send me a few uh, chariots so I can have a chance to get these Assyrians? That wouldn't have worked. The king of Assyria was right. <laughs> you rely on Egypt, you're just going to have your own hand crushed. No, Hezekiah turned to the only source that he knew would lead to victory, lead to life, and not life in another land. With false hopes. And what does he do when he gets to the house of the Lord? In verse, th- verse 2 it says, And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household with Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet. And he describes all that's going on. This is what Hezekiah is asking for. And asks Isaiah to pray. And Isaiah said, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the king, the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land. And I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. You're not going to even have to fight. I will take care of it. Turn to me. Trust me. Are we afraid of the man around us? Whatever's going on, whether it's what's going on in our country, what's going on in our community, what's going on in our business, our homes... Whatever it may be. We can come to the Lord in humility. That's, that's a very humbling thing as a king to rip your clothes and wear sackcloth. That's not everyday, you know, that's not a style. That is a, a sign of defeat and humility. But he came to the Lord in humility. Because he knew that God could be trusted. He knew that God's word was true. And though he was afraid, he trusted in the Lord. You say, well, great, the story's over. It was great, yeah. No. Do you think the devil just gives up that easily? We get a true 
faithful word from the Lord, and he tells us, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to cause them to leave. You think the devil's just going to be like, oh, see ya. You heard from the Lord now, so I'm not going to fight back. No. Sennacherib is a great parallel to the devil. I, I, I can't think of a, a better parallel um, in the Old Testament. But Sennacherib, he does return home in chapter in verse 8. But then he hears king, the king of Cush talking about how he thinks he can be, defeat him. He's like, I'll show you them. So what does he do? In verse 9 he says, Behold, or he sent messengers again at the end of verse 9. He sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, Thus you shall say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. Your God has said something, but guess what? Don't let him deceive you. This is his new leaflet. Don't let God deceive you. He actually wrote it in a letter. So it was a leaflet. It just wasn't dropped from the sky. <laughs> but his argument is don't let him de- deceive you. And, and why should that not be? Why should that be the case? We see here later, he says, Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands. All of them. Every single one. That's a little sarcasm on my part, but that's essentially what they're saying. Like, look, outside of you, this is what Assyria has done. Destroying them completely. So will you be spared? Is there hope for you? Come on, you've got to be kidding yourself. Did the gods of those nations which my fathers destroyed deliver them, even Gozan and Haran and Resif and the sons of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arphad, the king of the city of Sapharim and Hena and Iva? Where are these guys? Right? They, if, if these kings were great and their people were great. Here you are, little Hezekiah and your little bitty Jerusalem. We've already taken all of the rest of Judah. You think that you and your little city can stop us? Don't be deceived. Your God is full of it. He he can't be trusted. Have you had that experience lately? Oftentimes, the devil's not so in your face like this propaganda, right? He's more subtle. You hear something from someone and they, they don't intend it to break down your faith, but what they say, the devil, oh, you see what happened to them? Maybe it could be the same for you. You saw what happened to that person? Oh, The devil is just looking for an opportunity to go into psychological warfare. That's what he's into. He likes that guerrilla warfare. If he can sneak in, it's a lot easier than a full frontal assault. A full frontal assault costs a lot more. But if he can just sneak in from behind, and what a better way than in through your mind. I mean, 
He's not lying. His reasons for him not to trust God are, are legitimate reasons. Other than the fact that Hezekiah actually serves the living God. That's the difference. Right? Hezekiah doesn't go to the house of the Lord once. He goes to the house of the Lord twice. And the way he does it is so beautiful, especially in this passage. Like uh, Christy was sharing this morning. So in verse 14... He makes a beeline to the Lord's house. He didn't like go consult other people and, and see where he can find hope. He goes straight to the Lord's house again. Wouldn't you think he had given up because Sennacherib's still flaunting and being arrogant? Talking about his defeats and how great he is? No, Hezekiah goes straight to the Lord's house. He says, And Hezekiah took the letter, or letters, it's actually letters, from the hand of the messengers and read them. And he went up to the house of the Lord and spread them out before the Lord. Now here, Lord, you read them. See what they're saying about you. And then he prayed. He went to the house of the Lord and he prayed. You can just sit there and leave the letters there and start whining. Oh, God. No, he, he prayed. And how did he pray? What did he pray? Well, there's some very beautiful things that he's doing here. He says, Oh, Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim. You're you're seated above the cherubim. You're, you're up there. You're, there's nothing above you. You are the God. You, not, not someone else. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. It doesn't matter what this nasty king of Assyria says. You are God. Not him and not his gods. They're false and Because you are the God. You are the King of kings. You have made heaven and earth. Isn't it interesting? He starts his prayer describing the God he serves. He doesn't go to God saying, God, could you help me? Right in that house sometimes we want to go, Lord, I really got a hard day, and I. Uh, no, God wants us to come to Him realizing the sovereignty of God, His power, His might, His magnificence. And that's what He's doing, right? He's magnifying God. He's not magnifying Himself, oh, I'm great Hezekiah king like the king of Assyria. He's no, He's saying, You are the great king. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made. All the earth. You start a prayer off like that, it's kind of hard to start believing the lies that you want to believe. So God, you're you're enthroned above, but in verse 16 he says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to the words of Sennacherib, which has sent to reproach 
the living God. What is Hezekiah saying? He's saying, this is not an attack against me. This is an attack against you. Because God, I have trusted you. The reforms that I did in this country are because I love you. I want to serve you rightly. So when they attack me, they are attacking you because I am your servant. Hezekiah is saying, though I am the king of Israel, I have my authority because of God in heaven. He's given me that authority. And because he has given me that authority, when Sennacherib attacks me and the people of Jerusalem, he is attacking you. And you have heard. You see these letters, God? These letters are talking about you and treating you like you're nothing. You can't be trusted. It's very similar To Psalm 119.31. We've read this one back a bit. The psalmist says, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. The psalmist is clinging to the Word of God. Hezekiah is clinging. Right? How does he know this thing, these things about God? Because he knows God's Word. God's Word is so dwelt within him that he is just speaking from the heart. This is who you are, God. That's why I serve you. I serve you because you are the God of Israel. I serve you because you are enthroned above the cherubim. I serve you because you are the God of the kingdoms of the earth. I serve you because you created all things. That's why I serve you. And because I serve you, I ask you to hear me, to see me, to turn your ear toward. In verse 17, we see this shift. Kind of, you know, this is sin as a reproach to the living God. And he, he begins to speak to God. God, this is about your glory. It's not about me. It is truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria has devastated the nations of their lands. This is truth. I am not denying that truth. And have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Obviously, they, their gods weren't truly gods. They were just idols, worthless idols. But, O Lord, our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand. Why? Why would God deliver him? That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Lord and God. That's why. For your glory. That's why. So that all men will know that you are the God that I just described when I started this prayer. I want the men of this world to know the truth about you. So don't fail us now. We are serving you. It reminded me of Psalm 119, 49 through 52. It says, Remember the word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I have remembered your ordinances from old, O Lord, and I comfort myself. You know why Hezekiah wasn't 
freaked out. I'm using some... They probably wouldn't have used freaked out in that day and age, but why he wasn't terrified of what was going on, hopeless, because he had found comfort in the Lord. He trusted the Lord and His Word. So do you think God cared to listen to Hezekiah? Did he hear his prayer and say, eh, no big deal. No, he heard. And that's verses 20 through 34. Because God sends Isaiah to Hezekiah, and he shares this poetic prophecy. And in this prophecy, God talks about how Assyria is despising his people, And that they're arrogant, but the problem is God has planned from the beginning to allow this to happen. To allow the people of Assyria to have the victories that they have. The reason they even have power is because God has given it to them. That's it. There's no other reason. And then God confirms the word He said the last time He responded to Hezekiah. It's funny. When the little king Hezekiah spoke his prayer, the king of kings responded, I have heard you. I have heard you. And why did he hear him? He heard him because he went to the Lord. Because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib. Because you came to me, I have heard you. That's why. Because you brought it to me. You brought it to my feet. I think those all these comments today were orchestrated by the Lord in the songs even. Everything I, I do believe God is bringing together this morning to encourage us, don't give up because we have a great high priest who is enthroned above and we can freely, I'm not quoting it perfectly, we can freely come to the throne of grace. We have access through the blood of Christ. Don't let the devil deceive you into believing that you have no hope because we all have hope. Because the King of Kings responds to you when you cry out to Him, I have heard you. You may not see the circumstances changing yet. Everything looks bleak. The army's still outside the door mocking you. But don't worry. You know why? Because this is the end of that prophecy in verse... 32, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Syria, he will not come to this city or shoot an arrow there. He's not even get close. So he's not going to come. And there will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. 
By the way that he came, by the same he will return. He's going to go back the same way that he came. Two things, two promises. And he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. How? How is that possible? That this great king, this Assyrian king, why is he not going to come? Is it just because something's going to happen? You know why? The answer is in verse 34. For I will defend this city. I will defend it. I will make sure that this city is safe to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Is a promise. What a hope that we have. Do we serve the King of Kings? Because if we do, we need to approach His throne realizing He's the King of Kings as His servants under His authority and realize that we have the victory in Jesus. We don't have to come to the Lord and hope that He's going to hear us because that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what even the Old Testament pre-Christ teaches. Here Hezekiah brings this letter before the Lord and says, Lord, You are God. You're the only God. You created the heavens and the earth. You're the King of kings. And I will serve You. I don't care what the circumstances say. And how does God respond? He says, I hear you. They're not going to come near you. They're not going to touch you. And I will defend this city. You know, in Israel they have the, uh, that protection dome system. What, what do they call it? Iron dome. Iron dome. This is better than Iron Dome. I'm telling you. Ain't nothing penetrating God's dome. I mean, it's like titanium or something. <laughs> yeah, that iron's pretty heavy, but titanium... This is a, a impenetrable wall of defense. I mean, I can't imagine the hope and the peace. It's not that Hezekiah was just worried. He, he brought his prayer to God because he trusted Him. But I can't imagine how much peace and joy came from hearing these words, I will defend this city. You, it's not about you. It's not about you trying to go to Egypt and get some chariots or, or you trying to, to do all these things. Yes, you, you fortified the city to prepare your people, but in reality, it is God who's going to defend. So how does God do this? We see it here in verse 35. Then it happened that night. Isn't that amazing? That very night. God has spoken, and that very night the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. That is a large army. There's no way Hezekiah had 185,000 people in Jerusalem. I mean, that just physically impossible. And when the men arose in the morning, all of them were dead. Can you imagine? You go to bed and there's 185,000 men sneaking up to attack your city. And God says, I'll defend your city. And the next morning you wake up and they're all dead. If you don't have faith in God at that point, you might as well just walk out. I mean, the, thing, the sad thing is there are still people 
who see God's faithfulness and forget. Or they see God's faithfulness and begin to doubt. I don't believe God gave them a chance for doubt here because it happened the next, that very night. So what happened? Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home. He went the same way he came. God defeated them. He sent them back. And while he was there, he was killed. Just as God said. Everything that happened that God had proclaimed would happen from the beginning happened. Why? Because God is faithful. His word is true. We can trust Him. We can trust His truth over the propaganda the devil is trying to feed us. You know, we have all these social media sites now that are, they have independent fact checkers who are completely unbiased, right? You know, if you're an independent fact checker, you can't have any bias at all. It's just impossible for you to be biased. And yet, so many people believe everything they say. It's like, they could say anything and people, well, an independent fact checker said that's right. I'm not, again, I'm not arguing for uh, the fact that there shouldn't be people to check facts, because there should be check facting, fact checking, backwards. (laughs) But no matter what the facts are, God's word remains true. The question is, are we checking God's word, or are we checking the history book, or, or whatever's being said? Are we turning to Christ as our hope? Or are we turning to the, those, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen these reels where they do uh, hacks. Have you seen the hacks? Half those hacks are completely bogus, and they will actually take more time than doing it the real way, especially the, the construction ones, goodness gracious. Like, that's not a hack, that's a skill that construction people use all the time. It's not. <laughs> but I was just thinking about the, the hacks. The, the devil wants us to jump on to all these other ways instead of turning to God. Well, if you do, do all these things, I was actually watching a video today, early this morning, uh, there's this French chef that I like to watch sometimes, and he was talking about this principle, the 1% principle, and there's this British um, bicycle team. And they realized if they just fixed every, everything they could at 1%, so, every, so the tires, the weight, the, the helmets, the, the sleep, that they could exponentially increase their, their speed and their ability to win. And they set up a team that won for years through that principle of just doing 1% changes. But I was thinking as I was listening to that, I was thinking, well, those are great ideas, and I, I think I might try to apply that to some areas of my life. Those don't deliver us from the enemy. They may be helps, but in reality, our enemy is so strong that we must turn to the Lord. We can't defeat an army of 185,000. But our weapons are not of flesh, right? That's, that's what Hezekiah was encouraged with. But I am the Lord. I can defeat all. One angel of the Lord 
185,000 at night. Go back to Egypt. All the firstborns of Egypt killed by one angel. When God is our defender, when He is our victory, we cannot be defeated. But the problem is, as we all know, we often see all this coming at us, whether it's busy, over busy schedules and just so much going on that we fall back into fear and try to do it on our own instead of turning to Him. But there is a God to fear, and He is the God that we serve. The question is, will we believe Him to be the truth, or will we believe the world and their propaganda against us? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would live according to Your Word. That we would have hearts to run after You. Hearts that desire above all things to sit at your feet, to learn of you, to be like Hezekiah. And our first response to crisis, our first response to even stress and and difficulty would be to come to you, to bring our request boldly before your throne of grace. And trust, Lord, that you hear us and that you love us. Lord, encourage our faith today. Encourage our delight in your word, our delight in you. Make us people of your word, I pray.